Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with like four other people, five Mm -hmm. other people, I guess two back accounts. Um, I need someone on my team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why do we have so many people on today, Jay? Yeah, so uh, there has been some controversy within the walls of the fifth trooper. Uh, that being that I gave John Bushvax Bushman an entire episode to talk about MOV uh, while Kyle was on paternity leave. And uh, Kyle got upset with me. And uh, so that's a joke. Kyle didn't actually get upset. But we thought it would be a fun idea to actually have uh, John on while Kyle was willing and able to counterpoint him. And we've also added Tim and Lucas from our blog staff as panelists. And we're gonna talk and have a little fun debate for 2022 here. And uh, it's gonna be a competitive debate. And we're gonna talk about how you know we should be uh, ranking in tournaments and how people should be ranked during a tournament. And so uh, you know, I'm gonna prime this a little bit for folks at home who maybe aren't as caught up um right now the two major versions are sos which is the way we used to do it which stands for strength of schedule and basically what that means is depending on how your opponents did that depends on where you get ranked and the other side of that is mlv which is margin of victory and that is based on how many uh victory points you're getting during a game that's the distilled version, right, John? I don't want to upset. That's the distilled version is how many victory points you got. And uh, I'm not going to say anything more because I'm going to let the esteemed panelists here uh, have their arguments. But that's basically what those are. And so for this episode, what we're going to do is I'm going to be your loving MC because, frankly, I don't care either way. And I'm going to let each one of our panelists make their arguments as to what they think is the best competitive ranking for tournaments. And we're going to do it in, uh, we came up with a format. So basically each one of the panelists is gonna have roughly three minutes to give an opening statement on their position. I'm gonna ask some questions, they're gonna answer them. Uh, After that, each panelist will have another few minutes to counterpoint any statements that they heard during the opening uh, arguments and the question and answer portion. And then we will move on to what they think the, the future is going to look like for, for their version of the ranking. And then we'll have our closing remarks where I'll just kind of sum up what we learned. And, and at the end of the day, um, this is going to solve nothing. And it's just going to be a fun episode for us to, uh, to have here. And, and you at home can decide where, who you think won. I, w- I won't be declaring a victor. I will just be listening and taking diligent notes i swears it um so do we have a volunteer for the opening statement all right i can kick it off oh Lucas, then, uh, do- <laughs> it won't sound like anyone's copying me that way all right i'm not copying anyone else <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh thank you for having me on um i'm happy i could be here after that you know that shameless shilling for mov i'm disappointed to see that the fifth trooper has been embezzling some of that big mov money and it's become apparent uh but just to to get into this i think there's three main reasons i'm going to start off with the biggest issue i have with mov so i am anti mov pro sos personally 
Uh, my main issue with MOV is it affects how you play the game and the game itself, um, right? It's how many points you score in the end affects your MOV. And so this affects things such as concessions. If you concede, uh, someone wants to concede, you have to talk about that with your opponent, how it's going to pan out. This also affects objectives. It could get you in a case where, for example, uh, sabotage the moisture evaporators often ends on a tie points wise. And so if you're down one game and trying to fight to have a strong MOV, this may affect your turn zero. So my biggest issues is I tiebreakers are a necessary evil. I don't like having tiebreakers, uh, but I think when it affects the gameplay itself, that's the biggest issue I have. The other two issues are smaller ones. Second one is I think MOV rewards you for playing uh, lower skilled players. Whereas SOS rewards you for playing tougher players, right? You're going to get a higher um, MOV if you're playing against worse opponents because you're going to beat them. Um, it also encourages you to completely slaughter new opponents. Um, as someone who's been at events, sometimes you like want to rein it in after a while once you see you have a clear victory. Whereas with MOV, I am incentivized to completely table you and you know not stop at any point. And then the, the third negative side is as a TO, it is just extra bookkeeping that you have to keep track of, right? These are, um, you have to keep track of score, you have to keep track of points, whereas typically, right, it's win-loss and something like Tabletop TO could do it for you. So right, we could get to a point where Tabletop TO can calculate MOV, but you still have to keep track of these extra numbers and it's an extra piece of bookkeeping. And the only advantage to MOV, I believe, is MOV breaks more ties, right? For strength of schedule, there's only so many records people can have, you only have so many opponents, so there's a chance that your strength of schedule could tie. Whereas right, for MOV, it's uh, much rare that they'll tie, but I'd say that one advantage is far outweighed by the other disadvantages. And pro SOS, uh, you just don't got to think about it. You just play your games and SOS is what it is. Um, we don't want tiebreakers, right? In a perfect world, you play it out, but sometimes there's ties, you need something to break it, and I'd rather be something that's just, you know, out of your hands, something you don't need to think about. Well, under his time. Good job, Lucas. So... <clears throat> I think I know. I, I, I'm going to be honest, John. I had no idea where this was going at the time. Um, so I'm going to do the next ones in an order, which I think is going to be the funniest. So, uh, Tim, you're up next. Thank you, Mr. Moderator. Uh, and thank you to the members of the jury and judge for coming this fine evening. Anyway, um, most of my points reflect heavily on Lucas because, of course, I'm just copying him. But my biggest problem with MOV um, is that it encourages a little bit more of a toxic playstyle, at least in my opinion, because it encourages you, as Lucas said, and as I also believe, to shellac weaker opponents and also um, play hyper aggressively, which is a type of playstyle. But with MOV, it encourages every person to play hyper aggressively. And I think a lot of interesting, especially Legion games, uh, happen when you have different play styles um, interacting with each other. Whereas if hyperaggression is completely rewarded and nothing else is, you're going to see more hyperaggressive players win and we'll probably just see more uh, hyperaggressive matchups. The other thing um, it also encourages, so on the episode where John and Jay were talking about uh, MOV, they talked a lot about how MOV is in your hands and SOS isn't. Um, and while this is true to a certain extent in that your direct actions can possibly affect MOV, at the end of the day, both of these things are affected largely by who you're matched up with. So if you're matched up with a strong opponent, you're likely to have a higher SOS. If you're matched up with a weaker opponent, you're likely to have a higher MOV. 
and matchups are kind of random, especially like first round is of course fully random. But basically if you take someone who is skilled and then they matched up with someone else's skilled, they're probably going to battle it out to a near draw. And then that would be a low or relatively low MOV for both players. Whereas if you take this first player who is the same skill level and their first round matchup is someone who's played four games of Legion, then suddenly they're going to get a huge boost their MOV for what seems like less effort. Because at the end of the day, I think we should be rewarding people for playing super close games and getting those super close wins than rewarding people for um, shellacking noobs, <laughs> to use that term. So that is my one main point, and I will leave it to the rest of our big team to uh, battle out for the rest of the points. So thank you. Thank you, Tim. All right, Kyle. I'm leaving John for last because I'm giving John the last word. I, I honestly, for our listeners at home, I literally was, was not paying enough attention to this. I did not know everyone was going SOS. So this is uh, thrilling and exciting. And so I'm going to let uh, Kyle take it over next. All right. Well, you guys already hit a lot of, on a lot of the same points. Um, personally, I don't think that there is a good option. Uh, this is a situation where you're kind of trying to choose from the least bad, bad option. Um, nobody wants tiebreakers to affect how they should be ranked. Um, you know, personally, my view is that all prizes slash rewards slash whatever it is that you're going to hand out invites, cuts, etc., should be purely stratified on record. And there should be no tiebreakers at all. Um, I know that is not the world we live in especially in situations where you don't always fill the tournaments all the way. Like if you, if you had a hundred percent guarantee that you would fill to the number that, um, that you posted, you know, 128, 64, 32, whatever, then you would all, and you could guarantee no drops, then you would always basically create a situation where like, if you wanted to cut to four players, you'd be able to do enough rounds and make your tournament the correct size to cut to four players and have all four of those players have the same record. Um, but that's not possible. So here we are choosing between tie breaks. Um, I'm also on the SOS is the least bad, bad option. Um, I uh, would like to try and dispel one myth surrounding SOS and that it's that you don't have control over it. You do have control over SOS and your control over SOS is to win your games, <laughs> starting with your first one. Um, because uh, if you win your games, you will keep getting matched up against opponents that are undefeated. Um, and if you don't lose until your very last game, you're going to have the best SOS, uh, other than the person that actually like went undefeated. Um, so if you're talking about a cut where, you know, it's four rounds and all the three and ones, uh, are getting sorted by tie breaks and maybe the top handful of three and ones get an invite for a cut, um, with SOS, those are going to be the ones that made it the longest into the tournament before they lost. Generally speaking, those are going to be the guys that were, 3-0 going into the last round, and then they lost that last round against someone else. Um, with MOV, you get a chance where, you know, somebody loses that first round, and then they basically submarine submarine their way through a bunch of other X and 1s uh, where they rack up those high scores, and then they get ranked ahead of someone else that, you know, made it until the final game before losing. Um, so personally, I think MOV is just reverse SOS. I actually think you have some control over SOS, and I think that the uh, amount of control that you have over MOV is an illusion, especially in a game like Legion, where all of the objectives are, are designed to be close. Um, 
in my experience, if you have a game between two evenly matched players, it's extremely unusual for one player to win by more than one victory point. Um, and it's even more common for it to just be tied and go to points. So, um, yeah, thus is my view on SOS versus MOV. All right. Thank you, Kyle. All right, John. You're, you're up, my man. So you just took the SOS gauntlet. What do you have for him? I got a lot of things, um, a lot of points I would like to counter, but we're going to save that. Um, so first, MOV, pretending I didn't hear all this shenanigans before me. Um, the main reason for MOV is it's in your hands. Um, SOS, you doesn't matter. You play against your opponents, and you could do great, and then they could tank after you win or after you beat them or after you lose to them, um, you have no control over how your opponents do. And that's your tiebreaker. And it's weird and unnatural and even unfair that how your opponents do outside of your own game with them affects whether or not you make a cut. Um, and so MOV, MOV is in your control, whether you play against a good player or a bad player, it's you get to you get to decide. You can take the riskier play by going for victory points um, rather than just sit back and play it safe. Um, it encourages you to play the objective, which since day one is what the original developers of Legion have always said is that this is an objective-based game, um, and that they always wanted it to be an objective-based game. MOV encourages you to play the objective. Uh, and outside of counterpoints, that is all I have for now. <laughs> all right. So, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard our opening statements. I'm going to start asking some questions. Now, I don't have any prepared. Uh, I was just going to work off of the opening statements and ask questions, kind of see where this takes us. And then we will move into the counterpoint section. So, First up, uh, since Lucas, you went first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you. So <clears throat> I wanted to kind of understand, you know, you had talked about the fact that a new player having a bad time when it comes to MOV. Now, because you said if you're winning against a newer player, if I remember this correctly, you said that you would probably take it easier on them with an SOS schedule. Once you know you're going to win, you, you pull off the gas a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, how do you then account for the fact that, you, yes, you beat that new player, but now they're new, you know that they're new in SOS, and you know that they're probably, based on the experience you just had with them, they're not going to have a, a good showing the rest of the tournament. So how do you account for that, and what can you do to, to counter that moving forward? Win. <laughs> I mean, it's shortly, right? Uh, if you, I guess one of the big points, right? Um, I think why I would prefer SOS with that. So like you said, yes, it makes a big difference with gameplay, right? If I have a game that's clearly locked down, say it's KP and I have all three key positions locked down and they only have a few units way off in the corner um, with MOV, I'd probably chase them down with my units and finish them off. Whereas with SOS, right? At that point, you can just lock down the center and hold on to it, play defensively and not have to stomp them. Um, 
But I think with the big points, like you said, I don't have any control over their record after that game, but I do have control over my record. And right, I would say for many people, especially if you're trying to be more competitive in the top cut, right, you should really only expect to drop games against other, you know, high level players. And so with that, you should be hoping that you're winning your games early on, which will help your SOS in that way. So my way of seeing it is right. Typically at tournaments, I feel like I do reasonably well and then I get paired up against, you know, someone who knows the game and it's a close game or I lose. Um, But I find, right, you have those games learned to determine more often because the first round is the only round that's truly random of who you're playing. Each round after that, you're playing people who have a win. And so right, wins aren't a perfect indication of your skill level, but the idea is right, more skilled players are more likely to win. And so each round, literally, like it doubles your odds of playing a top eight player every round you go on. And so I believe that if you drop a uh, game later on against someone versus someone who loses their first game and submarines to the end, I think it should be weighted differently because I think that loss against someone the first round, just based on numbers, you know, is less significant than a drop at the end. Because if you drop, say, it's a three rounds top eight cut after that, if you drop a game in uh, round three, you lost your game to a top eight player and that's guaranteed. So, like, I think that loss against a top eight player is worth something different than a loss against a round, random opponent in the first round. Okay, thank you, Lucas. Kyle, moving on to you. Now, you gave an example of, and, and Lucas kind of reiterated this, right? What do you do uh, to, to mark your own destiny with SOS? And it's to win, okay? So my question to you is, there are multiple times in smaller tournaments that you can have multiple undefeated going and at the end of the tournament because of round limits and the amount of rounds you can have at a, at a local shop or a store that it's limited. And so you're going to end up having, let's say two to three, three O's at the end of the day, maybe more depending on how it all broke out. Um, how do you, how do you explain that as far as strength of schedule and all those people did exactly what you said, but now uh, let's say I went three Oh, you went three Oh and Lucas went three Oh and I'm ranked first. Uh, but we all went three Oh. I mean, the short answer is, uh, should never happen. Put enough rounds in your tournaments, but, um, the follow-up to that is if you have to do, you know, a short one day tournament and you get a bunch of people sign up and it's inevitable that you're going to get, you know, more than one undefeated player at the end of the tournament, then make sure you have enough prizes for multiple first places. Um, you know, don't arbitrarily call someone second place that did not lose a game. Uh, that should basically just never happen. Um, stratify your prizes by the record. You know, don't say this three and one and this three and got second when they never played each other. So Kyle, I'm going to press you here because that is outside of the SOS or MOV uh, question. And that's actually a store level question. So in the context of SOS, how do we account for those top three? You don't, you don't break the ties at all. Uh, There's no tiebreaker that's suitable for that situation. Okay. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, Let's go on to John. Um, I'd like to ask you about Kyle's point as saying that a lot of these, especially in high level games, that a lot of these uh, victory points are gonna be very close. And so how does MOV account for that? Well, if you have close games then you're gonna have low MOV, uh, plain and simple. The, the smallest amount of MOV you can get with a win is 50%. Um, 
But I mean, yeah, that's so. If, if it's close games, you're gonna have low MOV. Okay, so as a secondary question to that, with MOV, if you have, if let's say Kyle is playing a lot of high high level players like himself, there's a lot of MOV, and then there's other players that maybe had an easier path and have a higher MOV. How does MOV account for that? The players with the easier path could potentially have a higher MOV. So really based only on the victory points that they got and not on the not accounting for the strength of the the wins. Right. Right. But players, you don't get a control about how difficult your path is. Mm -hmm. You don't have you have no say in that. Yes, okay. you do. No, you don't. <laughs> yes, you do. Win your first game. I don't get a control. Time out. All right. All right. Well, again, all we're right gonna I'm sorry. Have, there's rules. We're going to have the counterpoint next. Okay. <laughs> Kyle coming out strong, breaking the rules right away. All right, Tim, on to you. Um, one of the things that I picked up on when, when you gave your opening statement was um, people being a little bit more aggressive. Uh, as far as when it comes to MOV and really trying to like squash opponents, right? Uh, I have found, and and maybe maybe it's the area I live in and how competitive cooks uh, <coughs> uh, can be, and um, I find that they, you know, we are still very aggressive and very competitive about beating people. So I just wonder, how do you see SOS um, not being as aggressive as MOV? Well, like, so when I say aggressive, I mean sort of like an actual play style at Legion, right? You have sort of various play styles, defensive, control, aggressive, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think that MOV rewards the aggressive play style more so than any other play style. Um, I'm not saying it as a, like, uh, personality thing of, like, it's in SOS or MOV, you can still take down your buddies, <laughs> I don't think this is affected by that, but the actual play style of aggressiveness is rewarded. I think I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, I also sort of, I've, I've seen a thread come through in these counterpoints a little bit, and that's um, talk of the sort of randomness of that first round. And I think any tournament, unless you do sort of a league where it's ranked before you get into the tournament, um, you're going to have a random first round opponent. And SOS, in my opinion, rewards you for having a, a tougher first round game. And MOV rewards you for having a less tough first round game, all else being equal. Uh, I see, I see Bushrax shaking his hand, but that's, that is my opinion at least. Because if you have a very tough first round game and you just barely squeak out the win, it's likely it's because that player is better and it's more likely to have a better strength of schedule later on. Whereas if you have a really good first round MOV because you randomly got sorted into a player who's like maybe potentially never played Legion before, well, you've been rewarded with a hundred percent potentially MOV just randomly. So that first round is always going to be random and somebody's going to benefit, somebody's not. But playing like if the, if like, for instance, you go to a local store tournament, there's eight people and like you have like Kyle and Luke Cook show up and they randomly pair into each other first round you'd likely think that those two people probably should be playing top table at the end of the day but if they play first round one of them's going to win one of them's going to lose and in sos that person who 
beats the very first like that like whether it be Kyle Luke that person has is probably gonna have a very good S West because whoever they beat is gonna likely win the rest of their games or has a good possibility. Whereas if in MOV both of them are gonna probably end up in a battle to almost a draw. So that first game that person who wins only has like a 50 MOV. Well now the if they get other people so if you have to cut out the uh, three and O's or whatever at the end of the day that first round 50% MOV could end up hurting them at the end of the day. Okay. <clears throat> Kyle, um, based on what I'm hearing, I want to understand from your point of view, all things being equal. And if two players have the same path, uh, whether it's SOS or MRV, let's assume the same path forward. Do you believe at the end of the day that those two, those two, systems would be equal so what i mean by that to clarify is if i started like tim was just saying if one if let's say you had a easy first round a mid second a harder third and then a top table fourth round and we were using sos and mov and those two things didn't you know were were the the things that changed every other variable say the same how is SOS better than MOV in that in that scenario? So are you saying if you could basically guarantee that every match you had would be against someone that was as equally skilled as you? Well, I guess what I'm saying is um, however it's matched up, right? Whether it's whether it's not skilled, too skilled in all four rounds, and that same matchup happened exactly the same way, but with MOV and with SOS, how is one superior over the other? How, how would SOS, so so because what I'm hearing is basically, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, everyone, is that SOS is going to be better, you know, is going to reward on one end where MOV rewards on the other end. So if all the variables were the same, how does that shift your opinion in, in the two SOS versus MOV? I mean, I if you're if you're talking about like a single game where the skill level is neutralized um, mm -hmm. and uh, you're taking out the impacts of Swiss scheduling on those, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I'm confused why that's even like because we're talking about Swiss tournaments, right? What what I'm saying, maybe I'm I don't know. Does anybody else understand what I'm saying? Because what I'm basically trying to say is that what I'm hearing Tim say is like if I have, um, you know, if I have an easy round, what I'm hearing everyone say is if my first round is easy in MOV and I score all these, you know, victory points, then I'm yeah. at a hundred percent MOV, right? But uh -huh. also, if that first round is easy for SOS, I'm also going to do well for SOS. But long term, it probably won't turn out as well so i'm saying is if all things were created equal because i'm hearing this like change up of that first round saying what you know what if it's hard what if it's easy this is what happens so if we just said okay both first rounds were easy whether you played sos or mov and then both second rounds were the same both the third rounds were the same and both the fourth rounds were the same uh, i see what you mean yeah. if you have if you have one player ranked by sos and one player ranked by mov yeah. where the difficulty of all their opponents was the same was it, yeah exactly the same i mean then the the mov would be significantly higher right because if you get an easy first round opponent with sos that means they're probably not that great so they they go on to get a bad sos um 
but you score a really high MOV that first round. And then as you progress through the rounds, they kind of even out as the skill levels even out. Um, so you'd have a, a higher MOV from, you know, curb stomping somebody in the first round, um, whereas that wouldn't affect your SOS. So the MOV would be higher in that situation. Okay. If you both got matched up against somebody that was, you know, new uh, hmm. in the first round. Is, okay. that, is that what you're asking? Yep. Yep. Okay. Trying, Sorry. Yes. It took me a while to get yeah. there. I apologize. Sorry, I may have worded it wrong. So that's okay. Um, all right. So John to you now, let's say this hypothetical situation happens that somebody gets curb stomped in the first round and moves on. How does MOV account for that across the tournament? Well, with MOV, you still actually have a chance to, to make whatever cut, right? Um, I've shared a document that I worked on because I was bored today since it was a day uh, off. Objection, Your Honor. Uh, we were not provided with this document oh, during discovery. <laughs> I mean, you mean you didn't go through and, and create the data yourself? Weird. Huh. Is the defense obligated to, uh, 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 to create all the question evidence for was it? directed towards me. We will, we will allow uh, the evidence to be used in the argument, but will not uphold against the facts of this ruling <laughs> so as you can see from my document um <laughs> the um so if, if you lose the first round right i think tim mentioned that if you lose in the first round because you get paired against a good player your sos will be good but it's the opposite if you lose in the first round you're like and and you want to make the cut just just go home like you're so not going to make the cut. That, I think that's what we're all saying. You have to. He win. said the you, opposite, though. He yeah. said if no. you're paired against a good player in the first round and you win, you'll have a good SOS. I don't uh, think you said if you lose in the first round. No, he's saying he, if you he, play someone good in the first round and win. No, in his last argument, as well. he, I'm gonna hold on. I'm not taking a side. I'm just going to clarify what he said in his last statement. Tim did say that if Luke and Kyle were playing against each other and one of them lost, that the other person was going to have a good SOS because because kyle or luke would continue winning most likely so this is what john is basing this off of you lose the first round you're essentially out of the cut your maximum sos in a four-round tournament is going to be 68.75 where the minimum uh or the or the minimum and max if you lose like in the fourth round is 0.43 to 0.81 so there's only half of that range overlaps with a round one loss. So very, very slim chances that if you lose round one to a good player or bad player, it doesn't matter who, that if you lose round one, you're not going to make the cut. But with MOV, you lose round one to great player, bad player, to whoever, you still have a chance. Arguably, it increases your chances of making the cut by losing round one with MOV. Yeah. Uh, I, I or just win, like you said. I also, I think I finally understand John Bushman's, uh, like, where he's coming from. Whoa. Because, well, I'm not saying I agree with him. No, no, no. This but, early in the, in the podcast? No, no, no. no, no. I am, I'm not conceding any points. But I think the disagreement at the end of the day comes from the three of us arguing for SOS are arguing for a positive result for someone who wins round one. Whereas... Um, John, you are arguing for a non-negative result for someone who loses round one. 
Okay. I just wanted to like, okay, cool. John's um, shaking his head, by the way. Everyone. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I so I, 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 sorry, I just, I just finally like put that all together. Okay, cool. But I also, if from the data, this lovely spreadsheet. Um, so that round one loss, max MOV is 0.6875. So 68, 69%. And then if you for a three round tournament, so if you lose round one and then go two and one at the end of the day, and then versus someone who lost at round three, so they're also two and one, the mean of that, so the average is just like, so 59%. So like basically theoretically, if you go two and one and you're as, and you get a little bit of lucky with who you end up playing, you have some, a somewhat decent chance of being at least in the running for a cut. I, I just wanted to like uh, that's how I'm viewing the data. Oh, he just sent a visualized graph. I'm gonna go check that out. While I, <laughs> <talk. laughs> um, okay, so I believe we've we've had our question and answer portion. I I know it's short, but I can already tell by our panelists that they're ready for point counterpoint. So uh, <laughs> they can't even help themselves from coming off of mute to to talk. So what I'm gonna do is um, I will call on each of you and I would ask that the other panelists don't jump in while they're while they're giving their counterpoints. <laughs> um, and I what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go backwards and I'm gonna let John go first this time and uh, climb the mountain the other way here and, and let him counterpoint what you guys said. And then that'll give you guys an opportunity to uh, also use his counterpoints for your counterpoints. So, uh, John, go ahead and uh, what do you got? All right. Um, so I kind of already had a counterpoint in the last time I got to speak um, about the round one losses. So I would also like to bring up uh, Sabotage the Moisture Vaporators, which before MOV was one of the dullest objectives ever. Um, it's Kyle's favorite. Um, but I, I say this I wouldn't in say it's my, my own isolated who, who Mr. Standby Dodge that's his favorite <laughs> I say this because it encourages you to not interact with your opponent um, it encourages you to, to hit your vaporators four times and sit back and wait till either sixth round hits and blue player wins or some sniper war barely plinks off a, a unit and then that player wins. Uh, but th there's no interaction. You're, you're not playing on the objective. Um, there, there's like, you're supposed to be able to hit your opponent's vaporators, you know, like that's encouraged, but it's, there, there's no reason to do it if you could eke out a win. MOV encourages you to go for it, even on sabotage of moisture vaporators. Um, it encourages you to go to your opponent's vaporators and also try and stop them or try and repair or sabotage them. Um, so that's first. Can you, can you briefly in a few seconds, tell us why just for people at home. And if you don't, so if you don't, then, and, and you do what the, the normal thing is, then you've got four victory points. Your opponent has four victory points. You're at 50% MOV. Doesn't get any worse for that for a win. And it, I mean, it does, if you plan on losing, then I guess go for that because that's the best loss you could get with MOV. Um, but it, it's the lowest MOV you could get with a win. Um, the next counterpoint that I think I want to go right now 
is that I, I have a list, a large list here. Um, is that the is that minutes. extra work for the TO? Yeah, I, I, I'd like my time not interrupted. Can I get 10 more seconds on my clock? Yeah, yeah just, like a, just like a Legion event, we'll yeah. add time on. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Um, is that the TO has to do extra work for it, which they don't. There is a, there is a system of MOV in place on tabletop TO. It's been there almost two years now. Um, admittedly, it's a system. It's the system I created that influenced FFG to create their MOV. It is nearly identical, and players can enter their own victory points. Players enter it from their phone. TO sees it, clicks submit, done. TO doesn't have to do anything. Um, do I have time for another point or no? Yes, you have about 40 seconds. Oh, God. Okay. 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 Well, now you have 30 because you said okay yeah, for yeah, 10 yeah. seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we ke I keep hearing this hyper-aggressive. The MOV encourages hyper-aggressive. And I think that that is a bad choice of words to use. I think MOV encourages you to play the objective. Um, and this defensive play style that is being mentioned is not playing the objective. It's not interacting with your opponent. It's, it's not playing the game. And MOV encourages you to play the game. And that is time. All right, so we're going to go to, let's you know what, Lucas, you're up. You get to talk to your counterpoints and your time starts now. Awesome, you can tell I was boiling. I was ready to go. <laughs> So I think my main counterpoints, everything said there is I don't think it's a positive feature when you keep when we keep on pointing out that uh, MOV affects how you play the game. And so for me personally, well, we said tiebreakers is something that uh, we have. It's, you know, like we said, we don't want to have tiebreakers, but I'm personally not a fan of tiebreakers affecting how you play the game. I think the game is the only thing. Um, and second, an example of with the hyper aggressive play style, let's go to the full extreme to a game like Armada that uses a MOV system. So those of you who aren't familiar with Armada, you actually don't get wins and losses. Your win is equal to uh, points based on MOV. So like if you get a close win, you get six points, your opponent gets five. And at the end of the three rounds, they tally all your points. So for example, I had an Armada tournament where I got uh, second place and I lost to uh the guy that beat me, I actually beat him in a game, but he had two stomps in the first rounds and then I beat him really close and I didn't have two stomps and he got ahead. So this is an example where MOV completely matters, not wins, losses. It's an MOV system. And what Armada turned into, which I really didn't like, was towards the tail end of it, all the top army lists were hyper-aggressive lists that just went all in and either tabled you or got tabled and it was guns blazing. And a what I'm saying about gameplay is I personally don't think that's the most exciting like style of gameplay. Obviously, Armada is very different than Legion, but it's an example of how their entire game system being based on MOV really encouraged this. It wasn't just a tiebreaker. Um, and right, I don't think it's especially exciting to take two armies and smash them into each other and just roll a bunch of dice and whoever gets the best dice, you know, tables the other person. Um, and so I guess those are my counterpoints. I would prefer that tiebreakers didn't affect gameplay um, and that you just played the game within the rules of the game. And the game you're currently playing is the only thing that affects the game you're currently playing. Um, you know, you're not thinking about tiebreakers or anything like that. All right, we'll move on to Tim. What do you got for any counterpoints, Tim? Well, I think the um, 
I'm I'm going to, in my final closing arguments, bring in a little bit of discussion about actual Legion play, because I felt like I think we're fairly in agreement that the sort of recent meta we've seen aggressive units, melee units, have gotten significantly better over the past few months. Um, as well as John keeps mentioning, um, he doesn't like to play sabotage of moisture evaporators against someone who turtles on their moisture evaporators, which I think is totally fair. My, I think that those are issues that I think I, I really would like to see addressed as a gameplay problem, not as a tournament ranking problem. Um, so when I say hyper-aggressive list, I think sort of where melee, melee units right now are, I think is a decent place. They're strong and you can get into a gun line. But if those units are also buoyed by the fact that the way they play gives you better MOV, that just sort of skews to them even more. As well as sabotage moisture evaporators, if for instance, you added a fifth moisture evaporator in the middle, well then suddenly it isn't affected nearly as much um, in like for John's scenario of two people sitting back on four points each. Well, if there was a middle evaporator, then that couldn't happen because there's a middle evaporator. So I think there are ways those two specific scenarios, I think, can be addressed gameplay-wise, not just tournament ranking-wise, and also tournament ranking-wise does interact with gameplay, where um, which is an interesting thing to note. Thank you. All right, Kyle, final counterpoint. All right, so Tim uh, kind of summarized what I was going to say about VAPS. Um, if you got a problem with VAPS, fix VAPS. Don't introduce an artificial system on top of it to make a what is uh, arguably an uninteractive objective more obje more interactive. Um, personally, I've had some of my most exciting games on VAPS because uh, the game can swing from, you know, uh, who's leading uh, with every unit that's killed. Um, I've had the game swing multiple times in a turn uh, back and forth. I've had some very exciting games on VAPS. But anyway, um, the follow-up to that too is uh, most objectives tie or are close. VAPS is kind of the one that's always cited as the example as like an uninteractive one because the objectives are close to your deployment zone. But generally speaking, um, you know, most objectives tie in close games uh, or are very close um, unless you get into like secret mission and bounty, which is a whole nother can of worms that um, we haven't actually even talked about yet. But this is the uh, counterpoint section. Um, so uh, secondly, as far as being more work for TOs, um, I can say that MOV is a lot more work for TOs and judges specifically, having done it uh, with uh, Gen Con online, I think it was. Um, and then I've judged at least one other tournament with MOV, and it's because judges have to witness all the concessions. Um, and uh, I'm sorry if you have to beep this out, Jay, but that is a pain in the ass. <laughs> like having judged for a tournament with MOV, having to get called to every single table to witness every single concession is horrible. Um, and it's a real strain on your judge resources. So, uh, and the third, I just, third point, I want to piggyback on something that Lucas said, which is that close games are exciting. Um, I'm going to pull in a baseball example from here. Uh, baseball has sort of been like, you know, the game of home runs recently with this view that, well, home runs are exciting. Well, there's this interesting stat. Baseball is all about stats in baseball called leverage index which basically uh, measures how uh, the percentage chance that a given moment in the game can affect the outcome of the game. Um, and they found that the closer the games were, the more moments you had that could affect the outcome of the game and therefore the more exciting the game was. So low scoring games were actually more exciting than high scoring games where they were just clubbing home runs back and forth because 
you know, every home run after the first one essentially doesn't matter. Whereas if you have a really close game, that's really close until the end, you know, and you hit a home run in the eighth inning or you score a single in the eighth inning, you know, when some guys on second base, like that's super important. That's really exciting. Every time someone steps up to the plate, they could change the outcome of that game. But, you know, if it's a 10 to three game, uh, you know, nobody's going to change the outcome of that game when they step up to the plate on an individual basis. So close games are exciting. I think it's a myth that uh, more action and more offense, so to speak, makes things more exciting. All right. So you've heard the arguments. You've heard the counterpoints. I want to remind everyone at home that we're all friends here for now and that we're all just having fun with this. So what I'd like to do now is let's look on a brighter side. And Kyle, I'm going to start with you on this one. Let's talk about the future. Like what now that we've heard everything, what's what's the idealist, you know, beautiful pasture of daisies that you see for the future of of this? Uh, I mean, I already said, I think my ideal solution would be to just stratify prize support by record and not use tie breaks at all. Um, I also think a good sort of middle ground with respect to the, you know, going X and one issue, like dropping your first game is something like what LVO and Adepticon are pioneering, which if you have the time, I think is an interesting idea, but basically you cut to three and ones, you don't cut to top, whatever. Um, you know, you have a four round day and if you go at least three and one, then you make the next day and that's it. There's no tie breaks. Um, you go four and oh, or three and one, you make the next day. Um, that means you can still drop your first game. And then if you win out your next three, uh, then you'll still make the cut and you still got a chance on the second day. Um, but then on that second day, I would, uh, you know, if you have the right number of players, I would just go straight undefeated for whatever your cut after that is. Um, and if you can't then go SOS for reasons that we've all already talked about for an hour. Um, but I think that sort of helps the, you know, I got matched up against somebody really tough first round and I, I dropped a close game in the first round and now I'm out of the tournament. Um, if you have the time, I like that idea. Um, but otherwise I would just stratify prize support based purely on record. Um, and if you can't avoid situations like in a short form store tournament, um, where multiple undefeated players are standing at the end of the day then just have multiple first place prizes. And don't declare one winner, declare, you know, two or three winners or whatever you got to do. Um, so that's my, that's my two cents. My vision. All right. Uh, let's go. You know what? You know what? I'm going to go to Bushman. Bushman, give me your vision of the future. What do you got, pal? Um, so it's interesting that Kyle keeps going to, to the no tiebreaker stance instead of the pro SOS, which I agree with. Yes, ideal world, if you can pull that off. I mean, I don't think anyone here disagrees with that, that no tiebreakers is better than having tiebreakers. But in the world where it's not feasible, where it's not possible, um, and, and maybe maybe it is possible, maybe it is feasible. But if it's not, you've got two options. One, you could marry the two. You could marry SOS and MOV. You could do... It, it's hard to, to say how much influence one should have versus the other, but you could literally say, you add the two numbers. They're both on a scale of zero to one. Um, they both give about the same values. So neither one would be weighted more than the other, really, if you just added them together. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to interrupt right merely to ask a question, not to do a counterpoint. Yeah. Um, because you are the stats guy. Um, would it be possible to weight 
SOS based on the, I'm sorry, weight MOV based on the SOS of your opponent. In other words, like if you play someone and then they go 0 and 4, weight that, you know, probably high MOV lower than if you play someone who goes 3 and 1. Well, that's affecting uh, your SOS, right? So your SOS well, would, not, be, would be really low and your MOV would be high. No, other way around. You, you weight the MOV by the SOS. So if, if they, on an opponent by opponent basis, so like if you play an opponent and they do really poorly, you essentially normalize the MOV for the fact that that player might not have been very good. Whereas if you play an opponent who has the same record as you or close to it, you would weight that much higher because that's, you know, essentially like the similar concept with ELO, right? Where if you beat someone higher than you, you get more points if, than if you beat someone lower than you. You, you could get like a percentage of your yeah. MOV based on how good your opponent was. Does yeah. that make sense? No, no, you could. Um, I'm trying to see. Can and I'm I trying to think I have how a... that would be much different than just adding the two anyways. Because well, you, if, if you, you play against a poor player, then your SOS in normal scenario, your SOS will be lower, which is already being affected by the poor, by the less skilled player. Yeah. Right? I mean, maybe it's six in one hand, half dozen in the other. That's, that's what I'm getting at. Okay. What's up, Tim? Oh, I was just going to say you could just multiply them together each round and then add those X amount of numbers up. You know, why are you that multiplying would... them? It's well, just then... more convolution. It gives you some weighting. I don't know. And you don't have an SOS each round. You only have SOS after the whole tournament. Well, but then you'd do that at the end of the day. But anyway, continue. Okay. So that's the one option. Marry the two. Either by weighting it. Um, yes, you could do it. There, there, there are ways that you could weight it, like Kyle's bringing up, or you could add them. Um, I think six, one half dozen of the other second option MOV, but stratified. Um, I say stratified, but that's the first word that came to my head. Um, I mean, pairings not being random so that you're getting paired against other high MOV players so that regardless, like if, if you're against someone who has a 75% MOV, one of you is coming out with lower MOV because you're playing against each other. Those are my two. Uh, possible future solutions. All right, Lucas, do you have any nuggets of wisdom for the panel? Yeah, I think some real interesting ideas um, doing some type of mix. I think, again, one of my worries is someone who does run events locally as a TO, the more things I have to write down and track makes it a lot more difficult and write concessions are a bit of a pain. Uh, but I think at the best world, write more rounds. And I think one way potentially, like at least in a competitive space, you could do that is by more strict timings with rounds um, and something that could get you there. It could be chess clocks, for example. If we Quick segue to our next topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, more rounds. Um, and I like an idea of combo, especially like for a larger event. Um, you could think of something like that, but I think the ideal especially if we are talking about a larger event, just have more rounds, more days. Um, I'm a huge fan of how a lot of the events now are just doing like uh, everyone on one day, then cut to top eight. So you have, you know, maybe third or like some of the lower people in top eight might come down to a tiebreaker, but at least then all the undefeateds move on. Um, so I think more rounds is the best way. But personally, I think for small stuff, I really prefer SOS just because it's quick and easy. You don't have to worry about besides tracking wins, losses. Um, but some of those combos are interesting. I kind of like uh, what Tim was saying. Multiply your MOV against the SOS of your opponent in each round or something like that. 
All right. And Tim, you're going to caboose this thing for us. Go ahead. Well, I should just throw a live hand grenade in and walk away. Um, <laughs> but one thing about tournament um, tie-breaking that I've thought for a while um, is that when you do your tie-breaking, I think is a little bit incorrect, at least in my head, and it's just my opinion, but often in three-person pl- three or like 10 to 15-person tournaments that are like three rounds, you often you play your three games and then you tie-break. But often what can happen is like the top two people at the top end of round two can play whatever. And then they end up, one of them can get like throat drop down a lot um, with a whatever tiebreaking system we use. I've thought like, so like some tournaments will do a cut two or a cut four. I would, I would very much like to see more of that, even in like three round tournaments after two, like you'd have to say this beforehand, of course, but especially if you have a decently small amount of players, after two rounds, you just cut your top two, be like, these two are going to play for the top table, especially if you cannot, as Kyle's been suggesting, get enough prizes for a bunch of first places. Like, if you want to have one person, like, a first place trophy, make sure that there is a game that's like, this is the first place game. Um, so I think that's just if a thing that I don't see a ton of that I think I'd like to see more of. All right. So you've heard the arguments, you've heard the counterpoints, you've heard the future state. So it's up to you, uh, fair listener, to decide what you think is right. And I don't know, write about it in your diary, because that's where it goes. Um, And no, so, you know, we learned a lot. So I, you know, I was really hoping that this would be educational for you listening at home, why things are the way they are, why they were looking at a different way of doing it, FFG, before AMG took it over. And it sounds like a fair mix between um, all of the different options, including fixing some of our uh, deployment cards and (laughs) and, uh, objectives, right? Um, So I think there's a lot of options out there. Uh, And so uh, I'd like all the panelists to virtually shake hands. you know, and, and prove, and they're all quiet because they're actually typing in chat right now. And they're still going over what we just spent an entire hour on the air going over, but that's okay. Um, so real quick, I wanted to wrap this up. Lucas kind of segued. I'm, we're not going to do this in the same style with the other one. I just wanted to have a conversation now. This open-ended conversation about chess clocks, what that means for the game. When do we all believe they should be used? And so for those of you who are new or maybe just listening for the first time, Kyle, you want to give us just a, a quick rundown of I, just a quick primer of how chess clocks maybe got introduced, why we're talking about it for Legion. Yeah. So, I mean, just at the basic level, what a chess clock is, is a, um, if you go all the way back to when it was first used in chess, like a physical object, it's a timer on the table. And every time one player finishes their turn, they tap it, and then the time passes to the other turn. And each player gets exactly half of whatever the time is available. So if you've got three hours to play, each player gets 90 minutes. Um, and then when you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, the only person's time that you're using is yours. Um, there's various, uh, depending on what game you're playing, there's various uh, penalties for running out of time. Um, in Legion, it's essentially been it's been used in invader and it's going to be used at uh, the upcoming lvo which is this weekend or next weekend um next next weekend yeah okay 
Um, so we'll see how that goes. But in both of those, they've basically said, if you run out of time, you can roll defense dice, but you can't actually take, you can't do your activations essentially. Um, so you don't want to run out of time. Uh, but at least in Invader, it's it's been pretty uncommon for people to actually run out of time. Um, they uh, used it only for the elimination stage in Invader, so after the cut, essentially. Um, and people played faster. <laughs> um, that's the short version. Uh, on, on TTS, at least, it's like a virtual chess clock, so you just hit a hotkey and it swaps to the other person. Um, if you're curious as to like all the nuances of you know, when do you pass it? Do you pass it when your opponent rolls defense dice? Do you pass it when they're considering standbys, et cetera? Um, there are documents that you can find on the Discord, uh, both for LVO and um, Invader League, which are basically similar, if you're curious as to all those nuances. But the bottom line is chess clocks are a way to evenly split time between two players and essentially guarantee that you finish. Thank you for the primer. Yep. So let's talk when should we a should we be using time clocks b when should they be introduced in a tournament and should we be using them at all tournaments this is a go ahead john um if you have a cut use them in the cut and only the cut would be my opinion they are we got a lot um, of head shaking and thumbs up for that yeah. it, it can be it can be a, neg a negative play experience for someone that's wanting a casual game and you have to have a level of, I want to say, confidence with your gameplay and the chess clock rules to not get bullied by the clocks. Um, I've played a number of maybe five or six Invader games on chess clocks. I don't know, maybe fewer. Um, and I'm not a slow player. I don't go to time hardly ever at tournaments, and I've been to a lot of them. Um, but I've ran out of time or, or come close to it on Invader games because of things like my opponent hitting the clock as soon as he's done stating what the actions are and then he goes around and moves the models adds tokens does all this auxiliary stuff on my time and then i'm a nice guy and i i wait to switch the clock until i've done all of my auxiliary stuff Be like okay this is all i need to do now it's you so clearly, like defining that with your opponent is is huge. Um, whether it's getting a judge, who's the least ideal scenario, or just saying, "Hey, can you do that on your time first? Um, would probably be the ideal way to approach that. That's so yeah, so I saw a lot of nodding in that. So I, I think we're probably all in agreement that it it, it would be the cut right is where we would start using clocks so like for instance um i think we broke down the adepticon cut which is however many in the first round down to 40 and then down to whatever the top is right so do you see it in in a situation like that is it a day two is that when we start using chess clocks uh, and the 40 yeah everyone's nodding okay mm, that'd uh, be fine at day two yeah yeah but the first time you cut whatever that is the first yeah, time you cut. yeah I think at LVO, right, they're just doing it for top eight. Um, but I think it might just be because they don't have enough chess clocks. And I think this is the first tournament that is using chess clocks. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of an experiment. But I think the ideal time would be, right, they go 128 to, was that 64 after that? Um, so it's, 60, it's like 40. 40. Yeah. 40. Oh, okay. It's kind of an awkward number. Yeah. Yeah. You get eight undefeated and 32 three ones or two yeah. ones. And it's okay. those 40 that are. Playing it's better if you have day. around 100 because then you get 32. 
but yeah, 128 equals 40 if you cut the three and ones. Yeah. yeah. So and I think I, as soon as you have a cut, throw them in. And yeah. I think one of the the big perks, at least in my book, is first it gets people to play faster. And personally, the only like real negative play experience I've ever had has come down to time and perceived slow playing. Or, uh, you know, someone who thinks they're not so playing that is or vice versa. Someone thinks you're so playing you're not. And one of the beauties of chess clocks is sometimes there are those turns where, right, like this action is going to make or break your gameplay and you got to commit right here. And you might want to spend five minutes on, you know, a single action thinking about it with a chess clock you, clock, you can do that. And there's nothing, there's no perceived slow play, like you're using your own resource. And so I think one of the biggest perks in competitive scenes is um it takes away any of that weirdness around perceived time because it's a resource not you have to spend and your time is your own um because for example with uh lvo and i know um lee brendan kind of talked about this how they did it based on pace of play but then certain players would catch up and swing back and forth an issue with that with right with slow play is it's just based on your opponent's speed and so with that right you could say someone's doing an unfair pace of play just if another player is really fast Whereas with the chess clock, right, you have, say it's a two and a half hour game, you have your hour 15 and it doesn't matter how fast they go, you have an hour 15 to get your six turns in. And as long as your pace is within that, you can do it. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest pros to it. Yeah, so I would say, you know, for any of you out there that, because I, I know I've heard this like worry, right, is is what if, I think John might have said it too, like, you know, if I'm just going to just have fun and leisurely play, well, okay, great. You can absolutely do that in that first day, right? And you can just go play, have a good time and have fun. Um, but once you make the cut, that's when, you know, people are going to be a little bit more serious and, and, and you will have to take the game more serious at that point, right? Um, and I, I don't think from my perspective, like, and I think, I think everybody here would agree, uh, like having chess clocks at your local gaming store is, is not going to be a thing or should be a thing. Yeah, I, um, I think, uh, and I, I know there's been some concern too about like, well, even if you use it post cut, then tournament players are going to practice with the chess clocks and then that's going to give like a bad look to the game at your local game store. Um, I mean, I think 40k uses chess clocks for ITC post cut. Uh, I've never seen anyone playing 40k with a chess clock at a game nope. store. Um, but even if you did, you know, and you get like a new person that walks into that game store and sees that and they're like, oh, wow, that looks really intense. I assume there would be a follow up conversation there <laughs> where they're like, is this normal? And somebody would be like, no, it's yeah. not. Um, 40k is a lot easier to do chess clocks because you do your whole turn. Yeah, right. Yeah, Legion, there's a ton of back and forth. So there you're going to need to the practice. Well, and you brought up a good point, John, too, which is essentially that um, the all of the positive arguments around chess clocks kind of assumes that you're going to actually accurately split players, like you're going to actually accurately measure how much time you're splitting between players. Um, and I'm with you. I've... I've experienced some situations where like players forget to pass the, you know, it's even just honest mistakes where you forget to pass the clock. Yep. You, you know, your opponent accidentally does an activation on your time or vice versa. Um, you know, that's going to happen. Uh, you can mitigate that with tighter chess clock rules and with, you know, what's nice about doing it post cut is you have more judges per players. So if someone is doing what you're described where they're kind of like, you know, rushing the other opponent with their clock, like they start doing their activation, then they hit the clock and they're still doing stuff. Um, you know, at least post cut, there's going to be a judge right there. It's like, hey, this is not how this works. <laughs> um, 
So, but yeah, that is, that is a, a sort of weakness of chess clocks. That's not really yeah. talked about a lot. Uh, and I, and I would say for a lot of you, if, if you're kind of thinking about this and going, wow, this is maybe too intense. Uh, my experience with the chess clocks and listen, this was on TTS, right. And we were in a tournament was fairly like, I, I for sure number of times forgot to hit my chess clock, just not even thinking about it. And my opponent and I were both like, yeah, we're going to be fine. Like we're fine on time. Like we're not even worried about this. Right. And so we just either I let them run the clock for what we perceived was the amount of time that I forgot to switch it over or, you know, whatever it was, we tried to even it up. And, and I would say as sweaty as we're talking about like this, all this competitive stuff, uh, 90, what I would say 98 to 99% of my interactions have been completely not sweaty, even during the most sweaty of times. Everyone is really cool. I mean, you know, Kyle was at Worlds for gosh sakes, and I, everyone there is friends, right? Like, it's not like, um, it's you know it's not like you're going in against you know you're you're a high school basketball team playing the Knicks or something right it's just you know it's everyone's cool everyone's really nice it's just something to help because what happens a lot of the time um in, in, in for all of this conversation right is there's just confusion and sometimes things can get heated because of the confusion right whether it's how could I be ranked third when I'm also three and oh or whatever, or is it, you know, you're slow playing, right? It's mostly comes down to confusion and, and perceptions that, you know, we're trying to pull out to make this even, a, even a nicer game. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, just to your point, Jay, like it, chess clocks are subject to that social contract, just like any other aspect of this game is. Yeah. Right. Like if your opponent's going to be friendly about measuring and playing by intent, they're going to be friendly about the chess clocks. If they're yep. going to be a douche about measuring, they're going to be a douche about the chess clocks. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's ultimately a miniatures game is based upon a mutual social contract where you have to do lots of things cooperatively. Um, and a chess clock's not going to change that dynamic. If your opponent's right. a tool, your opponent's <laughs> going to be a tool, whether you're using chess clocks or not. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, uh, like Lucas is saying too, like chess clocks in person, I think they'll also be a little bit easier to monitor that as that's saying. It was also in person, like I think it's even better to have chess clocks because like that time is yours to do whatever you want with, whether that be like a game time decision or like I just need to sit down for five minutes and like have a nap. It's your time. You can do that. I mean, not saying you should. <laughs> yeah, well, I yeah, I didn't want to. Yeah. Or like go get a drink of water or something like wherein if it's a shared time, that feels very, in my opinion, rude to your opponent to be like, I'm just going to go take minute, 10 minutes and like peace out for a little while. Whereas if it's your hour and a half or hour and you want to say, I'm going to take 10 minutes and not be here for 10 minutes, like your clock just keeps ticking and you're totally welcome to do that. Right. Um, or like, and if you're late to a round um, for whatever reason, often that in tournaments is very awkward when like for whatever reason, so like, but there's a thousand call. things yeah, yeah like you're rushing for lunch right because the lunch yeah. breaks aren't very long at some of these tournaments and you're on the other side of the vegas strip because that's where you wanted to get that <laughs> coney that they had because they don't have them anywhere else and you had to run across the strip to get back to your match and you're, yeah. and you're a little bit late so, i'm not yeah. saying this is from experience <laughs> at all so yeah so like if that happens you just start running their clock and i don't yeah. know exactly if that's how it's going to work but like 
in chess, for instance, that's what you do. If someone's late, you just start running their clock. And if they decide that instead of running and panicking to get to their game, they're just going to stroll and be five minutes late. It's still not great. Be on time if you can, but it doesn't affect your opponent's time in any way because it's just your time to use. Yeah. I, I really, I'm not that I would uh, encourage anyone to walk away from the table for more than a few minutes, but um, I really like that concept, right? Is that you're, you're saying like, cause not only, um, I've always felt guilty. Like, oh man, I like my throat is like, I need a drink. Like I've just been talking, like I can't do, I need to get a, go get a glass of water or something. And we're right in the middle of a tournament and I feel guilty for that. But if you're on your time, you're just like, Hey, I just need two minutes. I'm going to hit my button. Like it's my time. I'll be right back. I just got to get a drink or go to the bathroom or do whatever. I've, I've always found chess clocks make it easier to be friendly with your opponent because that's one less thing that is contentious or an argument that could be started. Right. Like no matter what I can use my time, they can use their time. So I don't really care if they're slow playing because that's their time to use. So even if they're slow playing in a normal game, I might be like a little bit angry or trying to rush them a little bit. Um, I don't really care because if they run out of time, they run out of time. And if their plan is that they're going to take the first three turns super slow and then get through the last turn super quick, that's their plan or vice versa and they can do whatever they want (laughs) and I don't care. Well, panelists, fifth troopers, we've done it. We've, we've made it through an episode. I I thought that went really well. You guys were all very cordial. I hope we're all still friends at the end of the day. Bushman. I'm sorry that I I, I didn't know that there was going to be three. I thought for sure one other person here was for MOV. Um, I knew you and Kyle were the big hitters. I didn't know where Tim and Lucas were falling in, and sorry about that. But I think you almost persuaded Tim there towards the end, so that was pretty- no, 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 no. I understood his points. I never conceded to him. Let's well, just sometimes just understanding. I'll take it. Yeah, understanding goes a long way sometimes. Yeah, too. he understood why you were wrong. <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa! We starting with the personal attacks now? All right, all right. Let me... No, bushwhacks more like bushwhacked. Whoa, whoa! Open, open, open up right, your right. uh, Get those okay. odd hominems going. As professional as always, you're the fifth trooper. Um, I hope uh, for the listeners at home, I hope this was fun and that you guys got something out of it. You know, I I think this is a topic we've talked about on and off a lot. And, you know, I apologize to Kyle for for having the MOV discussion while he was on paternity. It just ended up happening that way. Um, I I was really panicking while he was gone and I was doing the best that I could. Uh, But I wanted to make sure that the audience got to hear both sides and understood why this was important to everyone and, and what it meant at the end of the day. How do you guys feel? You feel like we did it? Yeah. Yep. So everyone, uh, still got for, a few for an audio, but <laughs> for an audio podcast, everyone it. gave me thumbs ups and nods their heads. So I appreciate that. I feel venerated. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're already in the chats continuing the debate. Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, just so everybody at home, this is gonna go on for weeks. I already. That just means that we respect each other's opinions. Yep. Yeah. 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 Sure. I'm sorry, John. When you come up for Canto, I'll buy you a beer. All right. Deal. All right. Uh, Kyle, why don't you take us home? All right. Well, we are the notorious scoundrels. I'm Kyle. 
I am Jay. I'm John Bushfax Bushman. Come on, guys. You got to say something. You can't <laughs> yeah, last time we said at the same time. You're so this time we both came with the idea that we're like, oh, this time I'm going to go last. So yeah, here, don't talk at the same time. Here's the I'm hierarchy. Guess... <laughs> I'm Timbo. Lucas. Oh, Lucas. Am I muted? All right. Oh, yeah. All right. Sorry. Stay fresh, cheese bags.